Welcome to an episode of I Am Black History, brought to you by In the Black Canada and Deep Visions Media. I am your host, Donna Paris, and this is part two of my conversation with Tracy King. Tracy posted a video on YouTube titled Stand Up, where she sings a song of the same name and shares amazing photos of her ancestors. I started by asking her why she wanted to show those photos. Later on in the conversation, Tracy refers to a Discovery Channel four-part miniseries that she participated in because of her ancestors' connection to the Queen's Bush settlement. The series is called Underground Railroad, The Secret History. Join me now as I continue my conversation with Tracy King. I have a lot of old photos like you too, and I love looking at them and trying to imagine what their lives were like. Why did you want to put those photos together? Well, the photos were given to me in November of last year. They were in a box on a shelf in a garage. And my aunt had them. They were her mother's and I'm sure her mother's as well. So some of these pictures, they date back into the late 1800s for sure. And it was like a fresh, wow, (laughs) look at my ancestors because we talk about them, but I never saw what they looked like. And so my husband and I have been sorting through all of these, what we call old new photos Mm -hmm. and putting names to them and breathing life into them. And the song I chose stand up was, I just thought it was really appropriate for the journey that they had taken to be bringing a future for me and for my generation to come. You know, I'm looking at these photos and going, oh, People need to see the resilience. Like people need to understand what was going on here. Like these people were fighters. You can see it in their eyes. Like one of the photos is this gentleman and he's just staring at you. I get goosebumps right now just thinking about that one photo of he's just like, I'm here. I'm standing. My ancestors are standing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you guys throw at us. We're going to keep on moving on. (laughs) I was like, okay, I have to put this out there. It was about hope for my family, my generations to come. Even my aunties said, look at where we were and look where we're going to. I had to do something with them and just wanted to honor them and pay tribute to them in some form or fashion. I've heard you sing Wade in the Water and other spirituals. What is it Mm -hmm. like for you to sing those songs, knowing the importance they played in the lives of your ancestors? Understanding that we sang those songs in church. Growing up in the BME church, Understanding the BME church is where people that went to the church were fugitives. And so it was kind of passed down from generation to generation. And you'd be in church and somebody would start singing and then somebody would key in with the melody and then the ad-libbing. And the next thing you know, you were singing these songs. I never grew up knowing they were Negro spirituals. I just knew they were songs from church. My sister is the director and founder of the Toronto Mass Choir. It's a Juno-winning award choir, actually, and they've traveled all over the world, bringing the gospel to many people, Poland and Italy. It's a wonderful organization. And she is a professor at York University, and one of the courses she teaches is the evolution of gospel music. And she also created the very first university gospel choir for Ontario. My mother... It's an amazing singer as well. Our family used to go around Ontario as the Winston Johnson family singers, dad's family. 
went around as the Royal Harmony singer. My mom's father was an amazing bass spare-tone soloist. It's in my DNA. I've been on stage since I've been three. It's a passion for me, but it's a passion for my whole family. If you understand the meaning of these songs, when you sing it with the meaning, it becomes life. Understand that these were the songs that the slaves used to communicate with one another without the master knowing, Mm -hmm. especially when they were running away. I've sang many of them. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. I don't know if you know that one. I do. It's such a haunting melody. And the feeling of being a motherless child. I'm a mom. I can get this. I've also had, unfortunately, many miscarriages. So I get it. That feeling. So when I sing it, I do sing from my heart. But I also sing from knowing what my ancestors had to go through. I'd wade in the water. That's what they had to do to get away from the slave catcher, to seek freedom. So you sing it with a little bit more robust, I think. We used to sing This Little Light of Mine in uh, Sunday school. And it's not until I got a little bit older and realized that's not what they're talking about. You know, I saw my older ancestors in the church singing it with, with so much gusto and life and everything. But now I understand why they sang it that way. There's different meanings as in, you know, if you see a little light in the distance, that's an area you can go to. That's a house that you can go to. Okay. To got the lantern going, keep the light going on. Don't let Satan blow it out. Okay. You know that somebody's coming, blow out the candle. There were so many different analogies of that song, but I take it as resilience. Right. Nothing's going to deter me from doing what I need to do. Nobody, no thing, no way. I'm going to keep on letting my little light shine. I'm going to keep on that conversation, keep on going about racism. It's what my ancestors did, and I will continue their process. You're talking about the church and about music played such a big part in your life. Very important to lots of Black folks like your ancestors. Church was definitely a mainstay in our family. And also uh, slaves, when they came to the States, they were not Christian. But they became Christian. But church was their area where they could be social without anybody looking at them. They could also hide messages without saying it out loud because there was always ears listening to them, right? But it was a way for them to gather and build community and build that sense of community, right? So our family did the exact same thing. That was our community, the Joneses and the Johnsons. They were the mainstay in the church, and you had your little sprinklings of other people in the church, but those were our mainstays. And we know that it was a way to keep us, I say sane, but to keep us together, strong as a community, a Black community. And we relied on each other. I remember my father's sister married my mother's brother. So it's like a brother, sister, sister, brother. And my cousins were over all the time. I loved it. I wish I could have that for my kids, but we don't have that big a family anymore. My dad comes from a family of 16 children. So there was lots of family always over, or you knew you could always go to their house. Sunday dinner was always at grandma's house. And we're going to go to the next grandma's house. It was community. It was a sense that we always had and a sense that slaves had as well. That's probably how these communities gathered, like the Queen's Bush area. They had to rely on each other. 
for these settlements to form. North Buxton, uh, Wilberforce, another settlement. Unfortunately, it didn't last, these settlements. And that's one thing I'm really curious about. I know why the Queensbush didn't last, because they were basically pushed off their land. After they cleared it, cultivated it, made it profitable, that's when the Canadian government came in and said, okay, well, you need to lease the land now. And they put the land at such exorbitant prices that there was no way that they were going to be able to afford it. And then there was agents that were harassing them and they, they finally gave up and, and they let the land go. But in the Queensbush area, the only thing that really shows that they were even there is this small cemetery. Out of uh, 2,000 people that live there, there's maybe 12 stones there. It's crazy. Where are they all? Like a complete erasure of our history. Complete. They've got to be buried somewhere in that area. Even when we were there filming for the Discovery Channel, we actually had a truck drive by calling us names and saying, you get out of here. I just looked at the producer. He just looked at me. We just shook our heads. Can you say more about the Discovery Channel? The Discovery Channel reached out to me because they realized that my one of my ancestors, Joseph Malat, was one of the founders of the Queensbush area. When I went there, I knew I would be emotional, but I didn't realize how emotional I would be. It was like seeing them through new lenses because it's one thing I caught the DNA on. I'm doing my DNA and I'm charting back and I see that, yes, he's my third great grandfather. Okay, yes. And then I'm standing on the exact land that he actually did cultivate and clear. But even more amazing than that was that I got to bring my boys with me and they got to share it with me. And I'm trying to explain to them, this is the land. And I'm bawling. <laughs> I'm just crying. <laughs> we get it. Well, I'm like, no, you don't understand. They didn't have a tractor. <laughs> they didn't have like nothing. Like maybe a hatchet, maybe, I don't know, a knife. Look at these trees. Could you do that? Come on. And they're like, yeah, we get it. I just interviewed a man named Bant Hayes. Originally, his family came from Oklahoma to Alberta. And him and his wife cleared like 2,000 acres of land by hand with yeah. an axe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, what I worry about these days is going from my air-conditioned house to my <laughs> air-conditioned car to my air-conditioned office and then reverse it all back over again. I, I, I am spoiled to no end. No idea what it was like. Yeah. So when we actually got to visit the gravestones, the ages were young on some of them. And my son looked over and went, this one says Malat, Mom. Because we had looked at all of them and I didn't see Malat. I was like, oh, here comes the tears again. <laughs> oh, here comes the tears again. And it was actually one of my ancestors there. That, so we could see like, yes, Annie Della Mala. Oh, she's buried right here. It was amazing. It really was special. And the actual special has already been aired. And the Canadian portion was very small. Our history, unfortunately, has been erased in Canada. But guess what? <laughs> We're digging. <laughs> you know, there's so much Black history being put out these days. Black in Canada, Black in the prairies. 
the new CBC series, The Porter. What have you learned about Black Canadian history that you didn't know about? It makes me kind of hang my head in shame on some things. Now, I knew there was a lot of Black people in Halifax, but I really didn't realize how many Black people were in Halifax. And I realized now that there was three waves of Blacks that came through, Mm -hmm. the Loyalists, the Maroons, and the refugees. Mm -hmm. And I did not know this. And I'm like, why did I not know this? Well, I can tell you that the people in Nova Scotia didn't know what was going on in Ontario and the Queen's Bush settlement <laughs> and all of that stuff. We don't know this history. And I didn't know about the prairies. I have to assume that there are Black people kind of everywhere in the world. Yeah. But I did not really understand about the thousands that came up from Oklahoma and about Amber Valley and about the Black people in Hogan's Alley in British Columbia. I didn't know any of that history. I'm just learning about Hogan's Alley. I'm like, wow, well, look at this. Had you heard about the bog in Prince Edward Island? No. There was a Black community, part of the Black loyalists that came. Some of them came through with some of the white officers who were given commissions in Nova Scotia and in Prince Edward Island. And the first lieutenant governor of Prince Edward Island brought four people with him who were part of the Black loyalist slaves from the United States. And they settled in an area eventually Mm -hmm. called the bog, which was a whole Black settlement, which is no longer there. The actual buildings that make up the parliament buildings for Prince Edward Island in Charlottetown sit now on top of the land. And you know what's interesting? I interviewed a woman. She grew up on Darkies Hollow. When you talked about Darkies Baptist Church, she grew up on a place called Seven Mile Road close to Darkies Hollow. I can just shake my head. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The one thing about Ontario I didn't realize was about the number two battalion. We were doing my DNA and my husband found this picture of all of these Black people and some dignitaries standing in front of the Parliament building. But we didn't have a name of what this was all about. And then we look a little closer and there is my great-grandfather, S.R. Drake, standing in the front of the row. So this has got to be something. We don't know what it is, but okay, fast forward. My mom had given me a whole bunch of documents and pictures and whatnot. I started finally opening up some of these documents and I look and this looks like it's an invitation. It was the invitation to the unveiling of the memorial plaque from 1920. The memorial plaque for? For the, of the number two battalion. And on the back of it, J.R.B. Whitney wrote to my grandfather and saying, I'm glad that you're going to be at this event. And in his words, it's going to be a red letter day for our people in Canada. But I still didn't understand what it meant. So then I started researching. What was this all about? And then I'm realizing, wait a minute. These men went to fight for Canada. They were not allowed to fight. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. We're going to send you. But we're not going to send any guns with you. But you can Mm -hmm. go fight for us. Mm -hmm. Just mind-blowing. And then for them to not even be recognized when they came back. Yeah. Weren't allowed in the parade. Incredible. You know, my grandfather was in the number two construction battalion. Yeah. He was what's called a sapper. You know, he dug the ditches and did the roads and stuff. And he is actually on the Canada Post stamp that they put out honoring them. He's second from the left. That's my paternal grandfather, my father's father. And I knew nothing about this growing up again, like you. There was so much I didn't know about. I guess you've probably heard that the government of Canada is going to make an apology to the descendants 
of the members of the number two construction mm-hmm. battalion. And I've been to a couple of meetings and they're trying to figure out what it could look like and what should be included, what should be a part of it. I think about my grandfather. When I see him on the stamp and I see this picture, he's probably, he probably lied to say how old he was to get there. He's probably <laughs> younger than he was supposed to be, but, you know, 17 or 18 years old and trying to think about him and imagining, could he think ahead a hundred years from now, knowing that it finally in a hundred plus years, he's finally going to be recognized for mm-hmm. it the stand Mm -hmm. that he took and for what lots of young black men took to be a part of that battalion. I always think, oh, I wouldn't want any of my children to be involved in any form of war or anything like that. But to have your child go into it and not be recognized. Yeah. And did you know anything about the Porters? Have you been watching the CBC series? I have been. I've been started watching it. I, again, have just started to dig and found out that I do have a family member that was a Porter, but they were in the Toronto area. I'm still digging, but the family says that he was the one that helped put the union, brought the union force for the porters to have. Wow. Okay. Do you remember his name? Charlie Baldwin. Charlie Baldwin. Okay. I'm digging more to see exactly where, because I want to, I really want to, you know, celebrate this person, if this is what was going on. And the only reason I figured out a little bit more about this person, Charlie Baldwin, was doing my DNA, I found this lady named Rosetta Johnson. So I'm like, okay. Because somebody, one of my matches, that was like a fourth you know, cousin or something like that. Well, mm-hmm. let me just check and see who this person is. And uh, find out that she's Rosetta Johnson's grandniece. I'm like, who's Rosetta Johnson? <laughs> I don't know who this person is. So I started looking on my tree. It's my great-grandfather's sister. So to me, that's not that far away. No. So... I spoke to my dad. Daddy, you know who this? Nope. <laughs> Never heard of it. Lived in Hamilton, buried in Brantford in 1963. So that's not that far away. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to this lady a little bit more and find out she doesn't know anything about my great grandfather either. So the two families just seemed to separate at one point. Okay. And she was married to Charlie Baldwin. Okay. And that's the only reason I figured out anything more about this new family yeah and these are the reasons why i really think it's important for my children to understand their heritage mm-hmm. you know they need to be proud and understand the stamina and the tenacity it took for our ancestors to do what they did for us and yeah. to not take it for granted like we stated before our history is buried so deep or non-existent Mm-hmm. that maybe they think nothing is possible for them to do because they have no role models. It provides like a context for them to know how we got where we are, where we are today, and that deeper understanding of the issues that we still face in this country. Mm-hmm. It is important. Our people broke so many barriers and achieved so many goals. And against all odds, it's like, it's crazy. And those stories need to be told. They need to be told. I was talking to Arnold Pinnock, one of the executive producers and the co-writer creative of the Porter series. And he was saying, what can I let stand in my way? What can I let stop me? When I think about what his parents and his grandparents and all the, when you think about the lives of the Porters, what they went through, what we were just talking about, how could we let anything stop us? What could we complain about? I mean, things are still tough for us. There's lots of things that we have to deal with, but nothing like what they had to go through. His parents came from Jamaica to the UK to Canada with a bunch of children. 
and yeah. survived and created a great life for them. So what could we complain about? Absolutely. I look back at what my ancestors did and say, okay, if they can do that, you've got to be able to do something more. I know the barriers that are in front of me, but I'm just going to keep on working around them. I'm just going to keep on asking the questions. The credit union I work for, I was working part-time for the city as a cleaner because I had needed a part-time job because my boys were young. And I was just on maternity leave and just coming off, right? So I was like, okay, they paid well, I'll be a cleaner. Let me just pull out, I hate cleaning, but you know, they said, Tracy, can you go and clean the credit union? The girl who normally cleans it is off on vacation. Not a problem. I go over, I'm cleaning it. And this man comes up to me and he's talking to me. He says, man, you really are cleaning? This place is looking great. And I said, well, thank you. You know, my father always told me, <laughs> if you're going to do something, do it 150% to the best of your abilities. And he goes, oh, I like your dad. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't what I want to do, but this is going to get me through and help my family. And then I said to him, like, well, what is this place anyways? I had no idea what a credit union was. I just thought it was some place you go and you get your credit checked or something to that effect. And he says, oh, it's very similar to a bank. I went, oh. And he's like, what's that mean? I worked for a bank for a hot second, Donna, and I hated it. The way that people treated people and my personality, it just it wasn't going to happen. I said, they, they just treat people terribly. And he says, well, tell me more. And then he spoke to me more what a credit union was and that. And I said, you know what I've also noticed is that there's no black people that work in banks or credit unions. And this is at that time. He's like, really? He's, well, you know what you say that? I said, do you have any black people that work here? No, no, I don't know this man from, from <laughs> I said, but all I know is I don't see any black people working in any banks. If anybody wanted to work at a credit union, how do they get into mm -hmm. a credit union. Mm -hmm. And he says, it's just somebody, you know, word of mouth, another employee here tells another person or another credit union, you know, they know that they're, we're hiring that. And I said, yeah, and all white people, right? <laughs> and just, well, I guess if you put it that way, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, you should look at hiring people of color in your credit union. And he's like, okay. And then I said to him, by the way, what do you do here? He says, I don't know. CEO, general manager. <laughs> I said, oh, oops. Oops. Okay. I'm just going to go get back to my cleaning. I, I thought you were going to go tell your boss what I said, but oh, you are the boss. <laughs> and then we just, you know, we hit it off from there. And he offered me a summer part-time job. Sure, why not? And I was a teller, part-time teller. And then just one thing led after another. And here I am 27 years later on. <laughs> that is a great story. It's like I've always just spoken out. I've always spoken out about if I see there's something wrong or this uh -huh. doesn't seem right. I found a report card from kindergarten. My mom kept all my report cards. And in this one, it said, yes, Tracy has no problem. Voicing her opinion, <laughs> even if it's not requested. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what our people did. They just kept on going, right? And thank God they did because we would not be here if they hadn't. I read an article from CBC News where you talked about how the messages of how to behave, and you've talked about this earlier, were passed on in the Keynes family from generation to generation. And you said 
the fact that I told my boys the exact same message that my parents told me. And unfortunately, you have to keep telling the same message over and over again. We are progressing, but we still have a long way to go. Are you hopeful about things? I am. But I'm also not ignorant to the struggles that were still out there. Mm -hmm. My bonus sons recently had to deal with the N-word and me getting involved, father getting involved in the school, talking to the principals. You need to have these people train, get somebody coming to talk to the class. And you're training the kids to know that it's not right to say these type of jokes. And, and Or if there's somebody in the class, my son happens to be the only person of color in the class, but if there was somebody else, maybe they wouldn't have spoken up. You know, like my son came and told me. So it was good that he was brave enough and, and, and proud enough to say, this isn't right. So we know there's still a lot to be worked on and it does get exhausting. It really does. That quote that I made was right after the George Floyd incident. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wasn't thinking so much about having to have the talent to my sons, my bonus sons, this same message. I'm thinking, we got to get it by now. Come on. No, I have to regurgitate this same ugly message, but I will continue this conversation about racism and about systemic racism and how it is in our society because people do not understand this. I think the fact that the Black Canadian history is starting to be uncovered and supported by governments and then different groups, it gives a face to these stories and, and letting us know that we do matter. But if they're not told, like people can't be educated if they don't have the information. Right. So I'm hopeful. And I'm hopeful for these things that are starting to happen like even more. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's a struggle. Every now and then you get that little knee jerk punch and they go, oh yeah, it's still here. <laughs> we're, still, we're still here, Tracy. You still live in Canada. Come on now. I mean, how many times did you get told, oh, I'm almost as dark as you. I'm in the sun. Like, can I touch your hair? It's so boingy. Oh. 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 <laughs> I got told once at the credit union. It was an elderly man. I thanked him for giving me something or he gave him some money back. And he said, oh, thank your cotton picking heart. <laughs> I just looked at him and said, well, thank goodness I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> and he went beet red because he realized what he had stated. And I was just like, mm -hmm. yeah, careful what you say. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh oh my gosh I had another lady she she was a co-worker and she had gone to buy a lottery ticket and came back because the person who she was buying from got very incensed because she did the eeny meeny miny mo rhyme the whole rhyme she felt that she needed to come and tell me people are just so sensitive you know Tracy all I did was do the mm-hmm, mm-hmm <laughs> to pick out a lottery ticket. And they got so upset with me. So what part of wrong do you not understand about that? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. 
well, there was no racism when I was growing up. I'm like, which rock did you live Because <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense. Did she use the word tiger or what did she use? Uh, uh, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, she used the actual N word? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. To me, too. By this time, I'm like, okay, you just need to step away from me. Just go back to your cubicle. Go over there. Because your ignorance is so huge. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't get it. I can say that, you know, the credit union has just recently started to be hiring more people of color. We got a new HR and I'm like, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Not sure if you noticed, but um, still you're a little token here. So the members that are all sectors, they realize it. They see it. Mm-hmm. And they are very happy with the change that has come through. Nice. Extremely happy. And they're all coming to me, Tracy, I know it's a little. Oh. I said, yes, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being told by my members saying like, you're the darkest thing I've ever seen on the other side of that wicket. I'm <laughs> loving it. <laughs> so is there anything else that you want to share? Anything that we haven't um, covered? We didn't look at the goodness project. Oh, right. I did have a question about that. I saw a video, The Goodness Project, Stories of Our City, and you talked about catching the theater bug and using that as a way to give back. Can you say more about the giving back? I love theater. Oh, gosh, it's an amazing avenue for me to to give out my passion and my talents. There are very limited roles for Blacks in the theater. And the ones that I'm most proud of was Aida. Aida is a Black princess. And also Motormouth Mabel from Hairspray, who was an activist herself. It's community theater that I do. I believe that everybody should be giving back to the community in some form or fashion. Your talents, your passions, your knowledge will make other people grow. For myself, when I'm singing, I love to see other people light up or they just forget about whatever issues that they have going on right now. They're laughing or they're crying or they're you know, smiling. I know that what I'm doing is making a difference in their life. Even if it's just for an hour, I'll take it. If everybody would do something and give back to the community, I think that we would have a better understanding of each other's differences. And then we would realize it really isn't that different. Mm -hmm. We really aren't that different at all. We all bleed red and we all want to be validated and loved and appreciated. So there's no difference. That's why I love giving back to the communities, whatever way I can. As I said at the beginning, we were going to have a real Canadian history lesson here, and I feel like we got it. I love the stories that you had to share. I love hearing all of this Black Canadian history. So thank you very much for being here with me today, Tracy. Most welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out our website, www.intheblackcanada.ca, to listen to Black Canadians from across this country talk about their experiences and those of their ancestors of being Black in Canada. And if you have a story to tell, contact us through the website or at intheblackcanada at gmail.com. You can catch more episodes of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, 
wherever you get your podcasts.